Well, good morning, and happy Easter. It's uh, an exciting thing to join you this morning, uh, though virtually again. Uh, I, I've said a few different times that I thought I was done kind of preaching to a camera, but the way we've set up our Easter gatherings this year necessitates that uh, I'm actually standing here on Saturday morning preparing for the remembrance of uh, what is really the greatest day in human history, Easter Sunday. And so, uh, though we're disappointed you're not joining with us in person, for those of you who are here uh, able to watch our gathering, we felt like we wanted to have music, wanted it to really be an opportunity for you to worship together with us this Easter. And we really hope to see you in person soon. Uh, we know that many of us will be gathered uh, in between at 9 and 11 a.m. this morning, uh, spending some time together worshiping the Lord Jesus. And so uh, I want to say welcome. I'm excited that uh, you're able to join us in this virtual environment. Don't be anonymous. We would love for you to, if you're watching on Facebook, just comment, say hi. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube channel, you can leave a comment there. Uh, we would just love to know who it is that is joining with us uh, and to be known because we believe that that's, that's really vital in the relationship and the community of the church. And so uh, I want to pray and then spend some time in the Word of God together uh, just worshiping this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Easter Sunday, that, that we worship today knowing that uh, though you died, you rose again, and, and that uh, it is good news, that the, the greatest news in all of history is that you didn't remain in the grave, but you were risen for us. And so, uh, so I pray that uh, you'd help us as we work through that, think about that in the context of your scripture this morning, uh, and in doing so, it would bring a great deal of glory to your name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so if you uh, are sitting at home, you have a Bible with you, I would love for you to take that out. You're going to open it to John chapter 14. Uh, in fact, if you've been watching with some consistency, and maybe you haven't, maybe this is your first week joining us ever, uh, thank you for being a part of that. And uh, so I'll give you a second or two to grab a Bible and find it. Get to John chapter 14. If you don't have one, you can kind of listen to as I read from it. But we believe that the scriptures are the inspired word of God. And so uh, we're, we're going to always go there as the grounding for what we spend some time talking about in worship together. Uh, if you've been with us regularly, you know that we have actually begun at the start of 2021 a series working through the Gospel of John. Uh, and when we set it up and kind of wrote out our schedule, we uh, aligned it so that this particular Sunday we would be dealing with the verse that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, in fact, it's a pretty simple morning. I only want to look at one verse and talk about it and, and the way that Jesus describes himself in particular with three different attributes of who he is and why these are so vital to his very nature and for us so glorious, especially when we bring them into the context of his death and his resurrection for us. Um, in fact, I think that the question this morning that's, that's so vital is, is what makes the resurrection so important in and of itself? I'm, I mean, Easter Sunday is the biggest day in all of the Christian calendar. It, it will 
almost undoubtedly this weekend be our largest attendance of the entire year. Many of you tuning in and many, many more will come to church gatherings, even if it's the only time of year that they do it. Uh, we, we have days off of work and we celebrate and there's, there's kind of even those who aren't connected to the Christian faith are familiar with the context of this particular holiday and, and it really finds its value in or finds its uh, recognition in the fact that Jesus was crucified and on the third day rose again. And, and we say that that's the most significant thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity. And so you might ask, why? In fact, if you're good in your Bible, you might ask why, because Jesus is not the first person who has risen from the dead. In fact, Jesus himself had resurrected just a couple chapters before where we're at in John chapter 14, had resurrected a friend of his, Lazarus, who had been dead for not three days, but four days. And so uh, not only that, but several other times throughout the scripture, Jesus calls the dead back to life. Uh, God gives life to the dead throughout the Old Testament. We see that happen a few times. And so uh, it's known to us that in and of itself, if Jesus was simply a man who died and rose again, while that might be extraordinary and really hard for us to kind of wrap our head around, it was not the most consequential and influential thing in all of human history. It is paired with the fact that Jesus' very identity, himself, who he is, is what makes the resurrection so consequential. In fact, uh, as we've walked through John's gospel, we've said the overarching theme of John's gospel was not to provide every detail chronologically about Jesus's life, but to profess that Jesus was the Son of God and that you could believe in him. And in believing in him, there was life, spiritual, eternal life in his name. That's, that's how John concludes his gospel, that you would believe in the Son of God and believing you would have life. That everything he writes, everything he does is a focus on the identity of Jesus as the reason that the resurrection is so important. Now, not only is that the case, but as we look this morning at the identity of Jesus, we find in John 14, uh, in verse 6, Jesus gives us perhaps the most concise and precise uh, identification of his own identity as anywhere in the scripture. In fact, uh, John 14, 6 is the sixth of seven, what we know theologically as the I am statements. Uh, these statements are massively important. Here's, here's where they come from. Uh, years earlier, generations earlier, God had taken his people, the Israelites, and they, though they were called by God and promised some glorious and wonderful things, they were found in Egypt as slaves. And, and not only were they slaves in Egypt, but if you read the account at the beginning of the book of Exodus, it's a rough and harsh and oppressive slavery. They're hard-working laborers who are dying young, and even as they are fulfilling the promise of God as fruitful and multiplying, the Egyptians see this as a threat, and so they, be, they begin to kill their babies. Uh, it's just, just a horrendous and horrific time. And, and so out of this, God raises up a man named Moses, and, and Moses uh, 
through the providence of God, ends up growing up in the palace in Egypt, uh, though at 40 years old, seeing the injustice done to his people, uh, he reacts in rage and he murders someone. And, and so he flees as, as a fugitive from the law. He flees into a foreign land and he spends some 40 years just avoiding his responsibility, avoiding his people, avoiding everything, shepherding. And uh, it is there that God appears to Moses, comes to him in Exodus 3 and says, listen, I'm calling you to go back. You are going to lead my people out of the promised land. And, and Moses is kind of afraid, uh, if you will, and, and really, I, I think, hesitant about the whole thing and, got, and says, hey, if I go back to these people and, and say God spoke to me, and, and I think realistically this is probably a real concern, uh, they go, who was it? What was his name? What am I even to say, right? If, if, if someone came to you and said, God spoke to me, you'd have some skepticism and some questions. And so Moses goes, what do I even tell them? And God says, I am who I am. God's very definition of his name, his identity, is that all things, the essence of who I am, is the standard. You don't measure me by the world. You measure the world by me. I am. Am And so the, the name of God, Yahweh, I am, becomes uh, something that the Israelites see and recognize and know throughout history. And so then, some thousands of years later, Jesus arrives on the scene, and when he shows up, he begins to speak about himself, and he uses these statements like, I am the true vine, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life. And the people begin to see it as Jesus equating himself with God, which surely that's what he intended to do. And then out of that, in John 14, he looks at his disciples especially, and he gives them the most precise of all of them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus identifies himself as three things, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so I want to just kind of take each one, spend a couple minutes just sharing with you about the importance of each of these as we uh, think about Christ and uh, contemplate that this Easter morning. First of all, why does the resurrection matter? Well, because Jesus is the way. Now, now let me say a couple of things about that. I, I think first he means the way to the Father. That's how he continues it on. No man comes to the Father, but through me. That Jesus, in the context of this, uh, doesn't mean any other way. He means his way to know God. In fact, uh, in the whole nature of the passage, Jesus is comforting his disciples after letting them know he's about to go to the cross. He's about to die, and they won't come with him. He goes on in, in verse 1 and says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. And know the way where I and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas, uh, one of his disciples, who is relatively bold to ask hard questions, says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way to get there? And Jesus' response, I 
am the way. You see, Jesus was going to the Father. Jesus was going to die and be raised again and ascend into heaven. And there he is preparing a place for us. And he says, I am the way. Now, now, I think this is important for us to know that Jesus is the way to the Father. Not only this, but that it's an exclusive way. This is a more and more controversial statement in the context and the culture that we live in today. But Jesus is clear about this. No one comes to the Father but or except through me. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, he doesn't only mean I'm the way to the Father. He means I'm the only way to the Father. That you will not get there through some other means. In fact, Paul reiterates this later on in the Bible. In the book of Galatians, Paul's writing a letter to a church, Paul the Apostle, and says, I don't nullify, I don't cancel out God's grace because if righteousness, uh, the way to a holy and righteous relationship with God the Father comes through the law or could be found through our good workings, then Christ died needlessly. The, the crucifixion, the resurrection, it had no value if there was any other way to know God, but rather that Jesus is the only way. Now, now you might be thinking, well, what about all of the other religious systems of the world? Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and, and I would almost guarantee if you talk to someone about your faith, this is one of the most common objections that comes up. Is, well, well, what about all these people who are so devout in all of these other religious traditions or so uh, connected to their faith that doesn't include Christ? And, and here's the thing that is so massively burdensome and depressing about every other religious system in the world that at its end, it's professing that you can do it. You can do it if you just work harder. The fundamental tenet of Islam is that your good deeds and your life can outweigh your bad deeds if you just do enough. You keep these pillars and you work hard enough, right? The, the fundamental nature of Hinduism is that you just keep living a better life and being nicer and you will be reincarnated into a better and better and better version of yourself and you can just kind of get it right eventually even though you've no idea what happened in your past life. Uh, the idea of Buddhism is founded on the idea that a, a guy actually left his wife and his family to go and understand the meaning of life and arrived at the idea that you just need to be nicer and kinder and better. Even those who were resisting Jesus, the Jews who were so legalistic at that time, in that version of Judaism, the idea was that you, through religious and ritualistic and zealous keeping of God's law, that you could find yourself blameless, righteous before God. You could just do enough of the right things to get there, that that would be a way. Just be good. Here's, here's the problem with this. And, and this is, I, I think it's also worth noting, this is massively uh, noted in evangelicalism of today that you'll find many, many churches who exist to say the core of Christianity is to love your neighbor and to be socially just and to do the right things or to vote the right way. And in all of this, that the main message is that you could just get it and do better. Here's, here's the problem. You can't. You, you can't. 
And, and I know me. I don't know you. You know you, though. Think about your heart. Think about your life. Think about the depth of the sin and the brokenness and the shortcomings and the failures that is your life. And, and even if you are tempted for a moment to think, no, 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 I'm, I'm pretty good. Recognize this, that our best version of ourselves is, is not good enough. God, God calls our righteous deeds filthy rags before the Lord. And yet, uh, we know that we're not always our righteousness in our best days. That, that deep down inside of us, there are so many things that we just wish we were better at. And so all these other religious systems, all these things outside of Jesus as the way, just profess that you, in your broken state, in your failure, in your not good enough condition for the perfection of God, just need to try harder. And that's, that's massively depressing. Because even in our best efforts, we fall short, though our intentions might be good. I, I feel like the, the way that I know this is because from time to time in the, the history of my life, I've, I've felt myself wanting to lose a little bit of weight. Maybe you've been there. I would guess most of us have at one time or another. And just feel like, hey, I just need to buckle down and for just like two weeks just eat healthy food. I'm going nothing but vegetables. I don't care how disgusting and gross it tastes. I'm going to just stuff that spinach down my throat and that's what I'm going to be about. Uh, and then that like generally for me, and I don't know how you operate, but for me, that works until like eight o'clock at night. And then I, I put my kids to bed, and so they can't see the sugar that's about to be ingested. But, but right away, even though I tend to be good, I can remember that there's ice cream in the freezer. And, and all of what I intend to do and what I actually do begin to find themselves blurred, jumbled, and lines crossed that shouldn't have been crossed, and the 10 pounds that should have been lost doesn't get lost. And ultimately, that's like a beautiful picture of sin, is it not? That's our life that we, we intend to do better. We always do. And yet we again and again fall short. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all of us are unworthy to stand in the presence of God that are unworthy to be in the righteousness and holiness of a perfect God. And Jesus, looking at his own disciples, who he knows this is true of as well as us, and says, I am the way. You don't, you don't have to burden yourself with feeling like these are just more rules you need to keep. There's more things you need to do that you just need to be better it's not it. It's, it's me. I am the way. You need to see me as the only one who grants access to the Father. None of your own workings could do it. Not only that, he goes on and says, and the truth. Now, now if the good news of Jesus Christ is that we cannot reconcile ourselves to God outside of him, the confirmation of that good news is noted in the fact that Jesus is true. In fact, it's, it's dependent on this. The, the first thing that Jesus says, I am the way, and in just a minute we'll look at the third thing Jesus says, I am the life, are dependent, they're sandwiched in between this idea that Jesus is true. 
Uh, if anything Jesus says is not true, if anything Jesus does is not true, it invalidates the idea that he is the way to reconciliation with God, that he is the life, the eternal life found in him. Because what makes the first and third thing so valuable is the second, that it is True. In fact, this is the common reflection of later authors in the Bible as they're writing to the church and writing to people who don't know Christ, that they would recognize it as so important. Why does the resurrection matter? Because it's true. Because it's true. Uh, In fact, Paul goes into the, the same apostle I was talking about earlier goes into a city called Athens at the time, and he's looking, he's watching all these people worship unknown gods, and he, uh, in his kind of agitation of how would you worship something you don't know, I know Jesus is the way, the only way to the Father, begins to preach to him. And he says this about the resurrection. Why does the resurrection matter? Well, in Acts 17, Paul says it this way. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Now listen to this. Through a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That the resurrection of Jesus matters because it is affirming and confirming of the truth of Jesus Christ. If Jesus stays in the grave, we have no way to know that it is indeed true because over and over and over again, Jesus is going to claim in his earthly life that he is going to die and then he will be raised up. Even at the very beginning of his ministry in John 2, he's in the temple and he says, listen, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. It's so specific of a recognition of Jesus knowing what was going to happen and what he was going to do. And upon this, it is confirmed in God, raising him from the dead. In fact, uh, Paul goes on later to talk about how valuable the resurrection is uh, through the hypothetical of what if it hadn't happened? What What if it's not true? What if we just found the tomb and confirmed that these were the bones of Jesus? Well, it would be devastating. It, in fact, Paul says it this way. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses of God. Liars. Liars of God. Because we testified that Christ has been raised if he did not raise him if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, listen to this, Your faith would be worthless. You're still in your sins. Those who have died in Christ have perished. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Jesus says, I'm the truth. If the resurrection, the resurrection matters so much because if the resurrection was not true, you believer, you Christian, me Christian, of all people, are most to be pitied. Our faith is worthless, and we're still in our sins. The very next verse in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, but, but Christ has been raised. But Christ has been raised. That, that the disciples were willing to go to their death 
to profess this truth, that those who saw him, uh, Paul notes in that same passage, more than 500 at one time in his resurrected state will face suffering and persecution and pain because they won't recant the idea that they have seen the resurrected Jesus, that he is the way to the Father, the only way, that he is the truth, that it really happened, that it's really consequentially true. And, and then he says this, and the life. Now, now it's important to note, Jesus here doesn't mean physical life. He's, he's not talking about our being alive physically, but rather he's talking about spiritual life, an eternal life. In, uh, all throughout the book of John, he's going to write about these things. Uh, in John 20, 31, at the very end of the book, what we said at the beginning was the purpose of John's writing so that we would know Jesus' identity. He says that believing you may have life in his name. He's talking about spiritual life, eternal life. Uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus has an interaction with this woman at a well, and he's, he's talking to her, and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. That's, he's talking about himself in the third person, and he would have given you then he says this, living water, water that would make you alive. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in them a well of water springing up to, and then he says this, eternal life. When he's talking about life, he's talking about it as a spiritual or eternal thing. In fact, in, in chapter 5, he's going to go on and say it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed, listen to this, out of death and into life. Six John chapter 6, verse 40 says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Even in the I am statements upon his raising of Lazarus just before, he looks at Lazarus' sisters and says, I am the resurrection and the life. That, that Jesus recognizes that you and I, outside of him, are spiritually, the, the Bible refers to it as dead in trespass and sin. That, that we are without God. That we're without God the life that is given through God. Outside of Christ, you, though you might walk and talk and breathe and move, you are spiritually dead. And, and the, the difficult and frustrating and saddening thing, it's, it's so many will walk around in this deadness just trying harder to look alive. Just, just trying more and more and more and more to taste a life that they won't find without Jesus. Listen to me. You will find no way to be right with God outside of Jesus Christ. You will find no truth that is lasting and solid and consequential. You will not find the truth of God outside of Jesus, and, and you will find no life spiritually that is lasting and eternal outside of Jesus. 
And Jesus shows us this in his resurrection from the dead. That though he hung on a cross to reconcile us, to make a way for us, though he was buried and put in a grave to show us the way he rolled the stone away and was risen, that he came back to life, his resurrection, showing us truly once for all that we would have life in Jesus. What do you do with that? You believe. Believe that Jesus is the way. And you start following him and you stop following whatever it is that you're so concerned with. You believe that Jesus is the truth and you start to trust him and you stop trusting all of the other things that supersede that or are more important to that in your life. You believe that Jesus is the life and you, you simply look to him and live spiritually and eternally. That's the good news of Easter. I, I want to pray for us and um, let you enjoy another song. And, and I, I would encourage you, maybe you sing along with us, even in your living room or wherever you're sitting today, that you would remember Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, and see today as the most influential and most consequential day in the history of the world. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son because, because we were broken unreconciled, hostile, engaged in evil deeds, dead set against you. And it was through your son that we might find a way. It was through your son that we might have truth and life. And that there's, there's no other way. There's, there's no other truth and there's no other life in us except through Jesus. Died buried and raised again for us and so so i pray that uh, you would be moving in lives in hearts and souls today and that you would bring many to to the power of your name and and that many would call upon you see you as the way see you as the truth see you as the life and that through it they might have life in your name in the name of jesus